Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Pepney Gallery Artist Podcast Show with me, your host, Marlon Pepper. On today's show, I speak with multi-talented artist and educator, Angela McFall, where she speaks to me in detail about her art practice and role as an educator. Her work is multifaceted through medium and concept, and her work is influenced on her original place of origin, even though she has travelled since a very young age. Please sit back, enjoy, and be inspired by a riveting rendition into Angela McFall's career. to welcome Angela McFall, visual artist and educator, to the Pepney Gallery Artist Podcast. Angela was part of Pepney Gallery's first online virtual exhibition in December 2020, which was the Identity Exhibition. And most currently, Pepney Gallery is hosting her fantastic solo exhibition entitled Facade. Hello, Angela. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I hope you're well. Oh, hello, Marilyn. It's lovely to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me. This is great. Thanks. You're very welcome. Thank you. Angela, you live in Switzerland for quite some time now. However, you were born in Northern Ireland. How did the transition between the two countries happen and why choose Switzerland? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I was born in Northern Ireland in the late late 60s, and then suddenly my family around the age of eight decided to emigrate to Canada. So we went off to Canada, and I think that was my first step of sort of traveling. And so after Canada, I felt like it was time to, to really go out and see the world. And so I went to Japan, where I was hired to teach art and English, and I did a lot of exhibitions there. And funny enough, that journey in Tokyo brought me to the Swiss Alps, and it was all very random. It happened by chance, and strangely, it was exactly where I needed to get to. So I went straight from Tokyo to Switzerland. So in a way, it was uh, it was one of those sort of random journeys that worked out to be really an interesting experience for me. So I've been here for 20 years now, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And how long did you spend there in Tokyo? Well, so I was basically in Tokyo for three years and the experience that I had there sort of got me ready to come to Switzerland and I started teaching art in a Japanese high school in the Swiss Alps and that was my first step into, uh, yeah, to sort of making the transition to Switzerland. So it was several years in Canada, a short time in Tokyo and then Switzerland, here I am. (laughs) And when you're teaching, are you teaching in English or did you pick up the languages? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so when I was in Tokyo, I managed to to learn enough Japanese to make it through a day, you know, so I'd be like, you know, Tashiwa Angela desu, Eguno Sensei, la la la, I could make the basics oh, wow. of the conversation. And then luckily, while I lived in Canada, French is a really big part of the schooling, so I had all of my, you know, basic idea of French already stored up in my brain. And when I got here, it just, uh, over the years, little by little, I became fluent in French. And so now I actually find that sometimes I really, I prefer speaking in French because it has certain words that just say more than I probably would find them to say in English. So so now I kind of, luckily, I get to sort of choose between these languages for different, you know, expressive means. Do you think that this experience has influenced you and your artwork in some way, just that transition of moving? I think there is really, in my work, there's this really sense of cultural fragmentation, almost like 
you know, we can be somewhere and you think everything is really permanent and it's going to stay. And then very quickly, everything rearranges. What you had yesterday, you won't have tomorrow. And and I don't know, but somehow I think a lot of the journeys that I've made, they, they kind of all connect to the sense in my work that there is this really dynamic quality, that things are shifting, that that nothing's quite permanent. And so I think that comes through in the paintings and the subjects that I choose, that there is this, this I, I want to say, fragmentation, that, that so many mm -hmm. things are made of multiple parts, and they just continually arrange and rearrange themselves. And we'll go more in depth into your artworks a little bit later. Just going back to the teaching, in Switzerland, you're the head of the art department. Can you tell me a little bit more about your role as an educator in the arts and the cross between being a teacher and a visual artist? Yeah, that's a really, it's a wonderful experience because I teach in really international environments. So in my classroom, in one day, I'll have students from Kenya, Poland, Lima, Peru, and they come together in my classroom in these really international groups to, to create with me. And so I have this wonderful chance to make connections between people and culture and visuals. And so, you know, I teach, the, I give tools to people. I, I help them to learn how to draw, how to paint, how to express their ideas. And what I love about it is there's also that, once again, that international sort of perspective where people coming from multiple backgrounds kind of meet together to look at images, to exchange images, to share culture. And I think this for me is really important because I think part of, you know, the in education is that, you know, we're helping other people access parts of their abilities and skills to keep, you know, progressing and expressing and, and sharing their ideas. So I think in the classroom, I, I just love that I get to be part of my journey meets their journey and, and together we create and we make and that's where it goes. Of course, definitely. And I'm sure you're a big inspiration there uh, being a visual artist. So that brings a lot to the table for your pupils. And what age groups do you teach, Angela? I'm teaching teenagers. And so basically, yeah, from uh, middle school up to high school. And I do a lot of work with getting people ready for portfolios and, and going on to art school. So a lot of students go on to like UAL and Parsons and some really top art schools, architecture as well. So I think that my own experience in art really helps to sort of help them to, to you know, identify certain ideas in their work and, and give them a little bit of a, a direction. So, yeah, there's a lot of that portfolios and preparation with uh, teenagers heading off to art colleges. And the fact that you've been through the education process yourself at the art world as well, you know how it works. So you would definitely know what the colleges are looking for. That is a great insight there for the pupils when they are making their portfolios. Would you agree on that? Yes, definitely. Because sometimes, you know, depending on what side of something you're on, you, you get focused on, you know, oh, my work has to be perfect. Everything has to look like this. What actually what an art school is often looking for is the personality of the student and what you know what they really are and will be as a creator and that shows up in a lot of our really messy work like our sketchbooks and our background work and so a lot of people don't think that that's a big part of the portfolio when really it's it's a very important part and somewhere you have to insert that little you know this is who I am and this is what I create and and what I make so as my own experience I just feel that I can help them to be confident about what you need to put in there and what actually 
is important in the end of showing your visions, etc., uh, for different purposes. Completely. It's that thing of the perfect where you think, okay, I've done this in the sketchbook, now let's make a painting of it. But can you actually recreate that exactly? Possibly not, but it becomes something else. Do you think maybe that that insight to colleges, that maybe the perfect for the student to read that, that it correlates? Or is it a case of embody that to take that from the student to say, well, look, it's actually not the perfect. Your drawing is unique. That could be the work, the, you know, that could be the finished piece. I think a lot of times there is that sense of that, we, like you said, that we do the rough work, we get this great idea, we start working on the final piece. But once you've ironed out a lot of those ideas, the, maybe what it was that was so interesting at the start has kind of disappeared. And so I think that's why we need to kind of, you know, the different stages of creation. I think it's really nice to have them present because it shows that, look, at the beginning, I was aiming to do this. It transformed along the way and it turned into that. And I think as part of the creative process, that is so important. And so once again, there is perhaps in school systems, in the educational systems, this this kind of, like you said, moving towards this perfectionism, when really I think creativity it's, it's all in there from the beginning. Like sometimes the most simplest little scribble on a piece of paper can have so much in it. And, and I just think it's sort of accepting that the creative process has many, many parts. And you kind of need, if you're depending on what purpose it is that you're showing your work, it can be really interesting to see all of those things together and how the work ends up and, and what it becomes. So, yeah, I think it's kind of all in there. I'm just going to bring it back now to your own work. I see that the majority of the artwork you made for your solo exhibition facade with Petney Gallery was made in 2020 and 21. There's maybe one or two from 2018. I just want to ask, and this word pandemic, the pandemic time, it's been a busy time for you, it seems. And I'm also aware that you managed to travel at this time as well for your work. How has the pandemic affected or influenced your art practice? If you could comment on that. Yes, actually, it was a really unusual experience to have this sort of, you know, for the first time in, in our lives, we were told, like, you can't go out of your house. And there was this real sense of exploring and questioning our connection to the outer world. So, you know, we all have these interior spaces that we inhabit, these our, these homes, our cocoons, our, you know, where we have everything. And these are connected to this outer world, to the city, to the, to, you know, to places that you go. And so when, you, you know, we were told like, that's it, you really need to stay in, you can go out for specific purposes. I just think our relationship to that exterior world, that, that thing beyond our door, it really came into question. And so in my paintings and my creative process, I was really exploring this idea of interior versus exterior worlds. And one project that came out of it was, I noticed that in my building, there was suddenly this huge buildup of packaging. Like when I looked in our paper recycling, I don't know what it was, if people were buying more food or what it was, but suddenly there was all of this excess of discarded packaging. Somewhere along the line, I just started taking it out of the recycling bin and I started forming it into these sculptures and these, these 3D works. And that was one piece that absolutely came out of the, the whole pandemic experience. And then when the borders opened up and 
we were able to move again. I found myself in France in this uh, ruined city, like a really old early Christian site in the middle of France. And somewhere in the architecture, I got this, this vision of just these, like all of these architectural details sort of based on nature. And somewhere these two things fused, the, the packaging, this lost city, this, this world that had been transformed. And that's when this one project called Lost Cities really started happening in my work. And so I, the more I got into it, the more things started to evolve. And it was really a, an interesting project that, that absolutely came out of the pandemic experience, the lockdown, the interior world. And then being in a city that was a, also a ruined world at one point had been bustling, thriving. And to see this, somehow in my mind, all of these things fused together. And that was one part of what the pandemic really brought out in my work. So I, I think that sort of, yeah, that happened. I see that piece of surplus mm. with the coloured packaging and it's almost like the shapes of the buildings because that record would be from the drawings that you've also included in the exhibition. But what sticks out is the sculptural pieces that take centre stage and they really do complement the 2D works as well. But you have another one, Romanesque, which is a paper that you've folded and embodied similar shapes to the Romanesque buildings. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on the the making of them and the structures and was it quite intuitive well you, you've really you know you've really captured the idea there that when I found myself in this place in the middle of France and and, and it was so incredible to you know we'd lived a, a year with all the borders closed and something that we sort of took for granted that you're able to travel you can go somewhere and then to suddenly be there in the middle of this Romanesque city and all these beautiful ruins around me, I was actually getting paper ready to go and do some sketchings on site in the uh, in the center of this old, old church. And I was just kind of getting the paper ready and I, I was, oh, it was too big. So I decided I had to rip it up. And when I ripped up the uh, edge of the paper, it fell on the table in a way that looked like an architectural detail. And mm -hmm. I just sat there and went, look at that. And so I started, <laughs> I started ripping up more of the paper. And just there, you know, when I really get into an idea, that's it, I can't stop. So I literally, that right there in that spot, I created uh, one of the first ripped up paper sculptures. And I just worked all those sort of discarded parts of paper into this almost architectural detail. And so it happened quite intuitively, it happened quite spontaneously, but it really kind of made an interesting link that was always in my work between I love drawing. And so the drawing and the paper, the uh, architectural details, the 3D, somehow in those pieces, it all just sort of suddenly fit together. And then that was it. I was off. I was ripping up boxes. I was installing pieces. I went back to the place itself and took one of my sculptures and put it onto this pedestal and photographed it. And, uh, and that was it. The whole project was sort of happening. So yeah, it's, uh, it's spontaneous and intuitive. You had all this research done, all the information on your art practice and what you delve to hope to achieve. But with this eureka moment, I suppose you had seen they didn't miss because you were looking on some level unconsciously for something new. And definitely with that piece, the Romanesque, it's almost like even though there's these beautiful kind of flows within it, it's like it's boxed off. And in your drawings, I can see that the frame of the 
of work in one of them here. It's architectural details one. It's like you have a frame within a frame almost. Yes. Well, there is often that in my work too, that the frame within the frame is that, you know, I'll go somewhere and I'll get a specific image or an idea and then I will go and draw and I will create something. And then I'll often go back and put that piece back into the environment that inspired it. And then I feel like the work functions on many levels because you have an idea that was drawn from somewhere that then becomes something and then goes back to the place that inspired it. And there's this completion or this sort of like, it's almost maybe about time, you know, that, that we, you know, the frame sort of blocks off, closes something, but then put another frame inside a frame and then you've got this sort of these layers of time or layers of meaning. And in my work, there's this kind of obsession with time because I just, you know, I feel like a lot of these places that I've seen or that I've traveled to, like, you know, these attempts to like leave a mark or, you know, the stone gets carved and it looks like that during the Romanesque and then uh, in the neoclassical, it's going to look like that. And so time keeps moving, but there are these like anchors in time, these places that that sort of hold on and resist that movement. And so I think I feel somewhere within these frames, within frames, it's, it's kind of referencing this idea that, that everything somehow sort of leads on and some things remain. And I don't know, it just sort of opens a few questions about that. I think it's about time. Well, I can see in days like these, it also has that frame, a frame within a frame and always with the perspective. But you state about your artwork in this show in particular, you mentioned the fragility of what we call concrete reality by drawing or painting the changes in architecture over time. You invoke the idea that change is only constant. So this to me now touches on the subject of urban memory, where the land, be it urban or not, changes over time and you're trying to capture that change is that something that you've investigated is maybe urban memory or unconscious memory certainly you've touched on it in the way you work yes absolutely there is for me that sense that you know you can be in a forest and you're surrounded by only natural elements and that forest has its own cycle and it will the leaves will fall and next year they will come back and it kind of repeats itself whereas I think in the urban environment we end up with this sort of collective human history where you spray paint on a wall you create a piece of architecture in that form and I think within the city you get these traces of human movement through time and these traces that are left behind and so I think cities they move really quickly now so I, I really feel that people come together they create, uh, I, I want to say, like an idea, a movement, a, a scene, and it happens. And then traces will be left behind, but then other ones will be completely erased. And like a new scene will take over and a new style of architecture. And, and I think in the urban environment, we get this real history of like human movement and presence. Mm -hmm. And so I really like the idea of urban memory because... It has, it's just so, it's just our little stamp on this, this constant sweep of time. So I think I like that, that imagery that you have with this idea of urban memory, because it is that we get together, we build collectively, and then we inhabit the spaces we've built. So, yeah.
and then over time they change to either wear and tear or it could be some sort of natural cause to change it or some man-made thing where they destroy rebuild or something like that as well yeah and it goes back to that fragility that although you're occupying a moment in time and everything around looks really solid it is quite fragile and very dynamic and so i think that's one of the main sort of core themes in my work that it always manifests itself differently but there's this real sense that we are just moving through time and and we are just trying to sort of hold on to things or let things go and for me I use architecture to sort of to illustrate this or to you know evoke this idea. I just want to mention about the artwork that you first submitted into us last December for it was our first online virtual exhibition. It was your work monument and it was for the identity exhibition. And that to me, it would actually speak on the topic of urban memory. So this is why I'm bringing it up. But you state that it's a comment on the idea that random plastics will outlast us all. So you state in 100 years we'll be gone, but that plastic cup will remain or so they say and then you mention I take random plastic objects that I find in the street and paint them into something somewhat monumental and each painting has a date of when and where you found the object. Can you comment a little bit more on your gathering of objects and you mentioned there about dating them but how do you record them? Yes well it is really interesting because there is in my work that sense that the city represents time and place and and different historical moments and so you know if you walk through an old Italian city you'll have statues monuments of people who've impacted that place and so you know I just started finding these these random plastics in the street and I started thinking like that's it that'll be here when we're gone and and in terms of the idea of identity that is that what we're leaving behind as a you know as our monument is that you know, how we use the environments we exist in, et cetera. And so for me, it really also goes to this kind of feeling of chance. And I think when you walk through a city, you don't know, you might meet someone, you'll bump into someone here. There's a a big element of chance. And so these plastics, I started finding that, were they thrown there by someone who was having a great party last night? And, you know, there was a whole different time, but that time has moved on. That person is gone, but there's that plastic cup, you know, on this corner. So I would start finding them. I would take them home and wash them. I would I kept a little sketchbook with the dates and times, photograph them. And then the, the oil paintings would start after that. So it's just a, a series that's been going on for a while now. But it very much is that kind of found object, that randomness, that I think my work pulls out a lot of dualities. And so I think that the, 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 the cup in the road it just reminds it just for me it's about that random presence but then it speaks of something much bigger that it's going to stick around for a very long time so it's that kind of duality in there i'd say and with the dates it's actually kind of interesting for me that you actually date when you find the piece normally you gather something put it on a shelf or in a box if it relates to other objects all well and good but the fact that you date them is that to filter your thought process as to that was a time then we'd say like that's objects from 2010 or like how does that work in your mind with the dating it's yeah it's about that randomness and that just that you know having been there at that moment finding that object it's what we sort of i think collectively do with history we 
we set, we identify things, we hold on to them. And there for me, the dating of the objects is really just about that feeling that that was that exact moment in time, in a place with an object. And so for me, the date's very much just about that is it and, uh, and where did it come from and how did it cross my path? And so it's almost this like diary of objects. And I think that for me, the date is very just about that a moment in time and space, there it is, that's what I found. And it's, you know, treating a very random object with a sort of, you know, serious or formal approach. And so these castaway things sort of get gathered up and, and become a marker of a time and place, a moment in time, basically. I can see for that piece monument, and you mentioned it already, you bring the artworks into a space to revisit it again. Now, you've actually taken a photograph of this artwork. So photography is a main factor in your work, as well as the painting and the drawing. And certainly I can see it in your works in the facade show as well. I'm kind of crossing between the two facade and going back to the first piece there. But with the monument piece, was that a conscious decision with the photograph, bring it back into the space? Do you have much thought process on that and can you speak about the photography element in your work with the facade exhibition i think that you know as visual artists we have various tools you know we have drawing we have painting photography mixed media and i think that every tool has a, a function or purpose that can really express something so for me i think when i'm painting i always have this feeling that an oil painting can live for like 500 years Whereas what I've been reading recently is that photographs, digital photographs, they can begin to disappear, like the chemicals break down, you'll be left, you know, there's a whole thing on like microfiche, there's like all yeah. the information that was stored that was, that was precious, and now it's just blank, there's nothing left. So yeah. I love the idea that an oil painting could actually survive, you know, 500 years, you look at paintings from the Renaissance, of course, they've been sort of retouched and everything, but in theory, that object will outlive time in a certain way, like it, it exists outside of time. And then for me, photography is very temporal, and it's very much we've grown up with it, snapping a photo, the family selfies, how we how we capture ourselves. And so I think when I'm putting them all together, I think the painting becomes a thing that I think can exist outside of time. The photograph is very documentary in that it captures so quickly, so much information about where we are and what we are. And I feel that the the two sort of dance in my work, they sort of weave in and out. And there's this really interesting, I feel, idea that as social media, the way we communicate our channels, they just keep changing. And if you haven't sort of upgraded and if you're not communicating on this, you won't be communicating at all. So I think we have to keep sort of like, transitioning and adapting and, and you know finding new ways to communicate but then I also think we have to hold on to certain things from the past that that are so important and techniques or, or ways of making that can kind of defy time so I think always once again in my work that sense of time is just simply that the photography it captures that moment the painting sort of defies that momentariness and and lets everything coexist. So I don't know. I think they're all in there. 
Definitely. And I'm just looking here at Trill 2001. Even it's stating digital photo collage. I mean, we'll all know in years to come that this will be a moment in time at the, of the digital area. But definitely with the archival life, it's prints for digital photography about five years, which is absolutely crazy to think is still something questionable. And we'll only see in time to come how it will survive. But with the Trill's photograph, digital photo collage, you've entitled it here with the medium that to me is almost like a painting so what you're attempting to do in your photography is almost like a painting in itself that you almost have to look twice and look at the actual medium to see what it is which is a success because it's trying to decipher how is this made and with the velocity that is even more like an oil painting but you just cross the side then to wonderland and that is almost like a photography play. Is it because we're after seeing the first two, but this is oil on canvas. So there's absolutely no digital work involved in that at all. But it has the essence of an oil painting. You've definitely, for the audience, we have to question, is this an oil painting? That play on the out of focus, how would you work around that? Or do you use any kind of editing tools? Or is that something that just doesn't interest you? How do you capture those types of moments where it looks like an oil painting? I think you've really kind of got the, the key idea is that there is this play between the, the painting, the photography, they kind of feed into each other. So the painting somewhat inspires how I then treat the photograph digitally. And sometimes it's just an oil painting and sometimes it's a, a digital image that I've edited. I'll do so many layers and then sometimes I'll go back and I'll paint from the photo and then I'll go back and photograph the painting and edit the painting. So I really feel sort of back to the idea of tools that in the end, it's about the image. And I think that Sort of one of the beautiful things about what you're doing at Pepney Gallery and what you really did for the artistic community during the lockdown was that you gave us a new way to still meet and exhibit and show works in a virtual space. And I think that that also then talks a little bit about how we just humans, we just keep adapting to, to what's coming at us. And so I think in my work, the idea that how we're going to view the image, how will it be experienced? I love that I exist between those two worlds because when you're in front of one of my oil paintings that can be like two meters by two meters, it's a very physical, it's very visceral, it's it's real, it's there in front of you, but yet it evokes a dream world, it's a, a different dimension, where are you, you know, so it really brings up questions. And then when you're viewing an image on a computer through a screen, it's a much more cerebral, it's a much more just visual representation of an image. So I think that's a key thing in my work that I am between the two worlds because I want to be between them because I think that's how we're moving right now in a very two digital world, physical world. And I like having a presence in both of them. And I guess that does bring just that question of how you see it and where you see it really is part of the piece itself. So I don't know if that explains a little bit, but 
It does, of course. We are doing the virtual world and we've kind of thrown the question back now, which is completely important because it will be interesting to see down the line with other ways around showing work and, you know, having a community. And obviously the majority of that was online. And it's actually interesting because when you are making a submission for an exhibition, you know, you send in your artworks via digitally and the curators are viewing them on that basis. And then it's like, okay, the next selection is let's see the physical works for the show. And so then there's a call of a certain amount of works and then it has to be physically viewed. In that instance, that side of it is gone. But it'd be interesting to see now in the history books come many years from now, will this be a section that uh, the virtual world for exhibiting will, will come into the art history of it? That's something that always crosses my mind, Angela. But I think our way into your work is we're trying to decipher exactly what it is, but the giveaway is stating what it is, digital photo collage or digital photo. But this conversation, it's going to be a moment in time. It'll be interesting to see how it's going to develop and if it will be a moment in our history. So in regards to the categorization of your exhibition, you have four different sections of the works characterized. We've touched on one there with a sculpture with the drawings interlinked, and that's one section. But then you have your paintings there, which are quite large scale over the other side. I did want to ask you about the scale first before we go into the sections. Okay. Yeah, so basically, you're exactly that's it. The, the oil paintings are they're about two meters by one meter. But I often have works that are like two meters by two meters, and they can be really, really large. And with those pieces, I think that when you're in front of an oil painting, it's like you fall into this dream world. And and I love the idea that it's physical and that you are literally in front of something. But once again, it kind of represents a, a world that doesn't exist or an imaginary moment. But what I love is that because it's physical, you have a physical reaction. And so when I'm painting a big oil painting, it's so funny because compared with a digital image, you just click backwards and you can undo. You don't like that color, just go back. Whereas an oil painting, it's really analog. It's like you, everything builds up, every brush stroke, every part of it. And there's moments when you know that you've just destroyed what you thought was beautiful. Like you've gone Mm -hmm. too far. You put this one color... And you can't go back. And so I think that's what I love about the the danger of oil painting, or maybe what makes it so beautiful is this urgency. It's really human. It's really mark making. All these marks, they add up to the final piece. Take away one, you've sort of changed the piece. And in the digital world, it's so safe. If you didn't like it, you just click backwards and it's gone whereas it's the opposite direction for painting you do one brush stroke too many and you've killed it and I've cried I've stood there going I just killed it it's gone (laughs) yeah so it's really delicate and it's really fascinating and it's dangerous and it's probably why I, I don't give up oil painting even though you know we're in a very digital age I find it has a very very fascinating side for me so so that's what I'd say about the scale and the medium uh, of of the oil paintings that we're looking at. I have questions around the space that you work in. Do you have a, your own individual studio and is it large enough to accommodate these fantastic paintings? Oh, it's really Thank interesting you. because yeah. uh, I'm part of a, an artist collective and we're in this old electrical power station, like 
really old. And we're about 15 artists and we all have our own studios. And so I just got so lucky. A friend was like, oh yeah, there's an opening, you know, this could be for you. And I got the studio and it's, it's huge. I mean, it's really brilliant. So I could like literally create these works at like two meters by two meters. And, and it's just this wonderful experience. So with the artists, you know, in our collective, we just have this wonderful synergy. Everyone works in, in various media and we just work really well together. So I, I have my own space within that larger space and uh, it's a dream. It's amazing. <laughs> That's great. The energy on the bigger works can come from being in such a lovely space that's large. You just want to fill it. And then also it's great that you aren't completely closed off. You have your time to work to yourself. But yeah. if you are having like a coffee or something and there's another artist walking the corridor, it's like, hey, what yeah. do you think of this? If you want that input. We do. We really, there's a really beautiful overlap and exchange. And, uh, and you know, you can just to say like come and look at this like what do you think so you just get that <laughs> that other voice whereas when you're working really alone in your studio it's just like everything's fine everything's good you won't really have that questioning or that critique whereas i love i really value the exchanges that i'll have with the you know the people i share the studio with that i can say like is that really bad <laughs> and they're like yeah that's really bad that's it's great to have that honesty too and sometimes yeah. it's just the look and yeah. then you know instinctively okay Right. I'll go back on this. And that's what you need, that hard, you know, concrete kind of honesty. But it's a safe space, too. So it's fantastic. Do you have meetings or is it just in the cafeteria area or the coffee beside the painting? We do, we do tend to meet and have coffee. And then three times a year, we do a big open studio. And so we open our doors and the people of the region come through. And last year, we had about 400 people visit over two days, you know, so wow. we had a really great. And that's even more... It's wonderful because you get these people coming in and they love to visit the the studios because you really you know you have that open door you're like looking at the, the you know the backstage of a of a theater piece so we have a really great uh, community around us who who come in and, and check out the work so at those times we really get together we work on a poster we get we organize the event together and yeah it's a really good group of people so once again really lucky to be surrounded by such a positivity and such a dynamic team that's brilliant it's really great to have that in a working space Angela and just going back to the categorization of the works you've characterized them where much of the landscapes are quite similar so you have a lot of uh, the waves of the ocean and cloud and then we have night swimming one and two which are two pieces uh, placed together they're about 70 by 50 together am I right in saying that and that one's really interesting because I, I think when I was younger you know, I loved traveling I was really like oh let's go swim in the ocean at midnight you know I was really like I was really open to the adventure and I've noticed in recent years I'm much more like oh we'll just go to the swimming pool you know and there's this yeah. there's this really strange thing that's happened and then I was so lucky a friend of mine had posted one of his photos of his swimming pool at night in the in the garden and I wrote to him and I said look these photos of your swimming pool have just really talked to me because I said that I felt like he took what we feel is sort of you know a place we know it's very contained it's confined and I said by by showing it at night I felt like the pool becomes mysterious and 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 not not foreboding but it's not quite that happy you know so I love yeah. how, how in that image, time, 
transformed the safety of this swimming pool into something much more unknown. And so I really love having those two beside each other. So the Atlantic and then the swimming pool, because it's kind of about how we experience places and then also how those places change with time and then how we change in relationship to those places. So for me, those the night, the night swimming is, is really important because it just takes that safe, you know, oh, that's fine, I know where I am. And it kind of makes it a little bit more mysterious. That, that crossover between the stillness and a warm yellowy color it's almost like a portal but the calm comes through and then you just walk a few steps up and you're into the Atlantic which is just completely the opposite they're quite realistic you've really captured the essence of the action it's almost like it's sitting on top of the canvas there's parts of it that's on the bottom have you exposed that exactly well i think there is always in the painting there is for me this this awareness that it's an illusion that that these marks and these colors evoke something and yet there's always this awareness that the canvas almost is its own place and something that I just have to mention that I'm re also really lucky, the two paintings, the Atlantic and the Wave, when I had the experience where I was at the artist residency in Kirili in Kerry, I had that night where there was this incredible storm on the Atlantic. And sadly, visually, I hadn't been able to capture it visually. Then I got back to um, Switzerland and I found a photographer who's living on the Aran Islands called Graham Bruton. And he had published a few images of his waves. And I wrote to him and I said, listen, what you have in that photo is what I saw and what I really want to capture. And so we did a little exchange and he said, absolutely, paint from the photos. And so these ones are actually waves on the Aran Islands. And so wow. I love that, that through, you know, how we got in touch, how his work was able to let me kind of put onto the canvas what I really heard that night while listening to that storm on the Atlantic. And so very fortunate that he was willing to collaborate. And uh, so those two paintings are really thanks to him that those images uh, exist. Of course, well, it's great that you have brought it back to the Irish roots and the fact that you were able to experience it. You did the residency down in Kerry and I hope the Irish treated you well. The last section on the exhibition, can you maybe list off your work and go through them if you'd like to do that? Okay. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So sort of the categories or the groupings. So the, the when I'm in that sort of reds and lights, and it is very, like you, that, that beautiful word you used before, urban memory. And uh, all of that really happened uh, when I was living in Tokyo. And I would walk through neighborhoods like Shinjuku, and you're in these towers of neon lights. And because it was often raining, the whole thing just starts reflecting and you just have these wonderful colors. You're surrounded by this very urban, very uh, human, industrial, you know, it's like, it's, it's beyond nature. But yet when I work in this sort of these ideas, there's this feeling of, I would like to say like uh, the city becomes this sort of matrix of lights, you know, and we have these memories and experiences. So when I'm in those groups, it's very much about the structure of the city and the lights and darks. There is a, a feeling that in that urban environment with the lights and electricity, you know, it's, 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 there's nothing um, natural about it. It's all very electrical. But I love to sort of let that loose and let it, let those colors explode. And I think when I'm working in that, there is very much about that feeling of these lights and the city becomes a kind of, lightscape you know that 
that we've had that feeling of driving through a city in the back of a taxi and it's all just sort of like blurring past you but it's all bright it's all it's really intense so in in these paintings and uh, mixed media works there is really that that sense of the color in the urban environment and really just letting it be what it is it's quite wild um, and just letting it dance really so there's something really energetic about it and uh, i think that it just captures that feeling of an urban environment and all that energy sort of exploding at the edges almost blinded by the lights almost there and uh, I know you've done a lot of traveling yourself so uh, definitely your experience is coming to the forefront you yourself would have your own drive for your work and what you see then it's be open up to other interpretation but it does come true even in the night swim and I'll just refer back to that that little portal I was stating there with the little yellow light it's like there's a little bit of hope in the darkness almost you know that's exactly what it is I think that even you know I think my work is a lot about life and mm-hmm. and I think that there is a lot of darkness but there's always this light in my work that just kind of represents exactly that that as dark as it may be there's always and there's often this pathway of light like you just have to work your way through the obstacles and you just kind of keep getting drawn forward into this invisible future you've no idea what it is but there's some kind of light sort of in the paintings compelling us to keep going. And I think that comes back a lot to Turner. And when I was younger, I would, you know, some of my first paintings, they were pretty minimalistic, but there was already this light and people were like, oh, that reminds me of Turner. And at the time I was like, I'm not even going to look into that. I'm just going to keep painting the way I paint. And yeah. so the light sort of become, it became something in the work and it's often present and it's not really even something that I'm uh, controlling or thinking about, but it just always insert. It just it happens, and so I really love that you've really captured what it co- sort of represents. That there will be this play between light and dark, and you know, this the light is there. It's there. <laughs> Well, like even in the work chaos, it, it, just the action on the work. I know you say it's chaos, but it's absolutely beautiful. In the work lights, it's more at ease a little bit, but there is chaos within that too. I know you've touched on just one artist you've mentioned and that maybe it's something you don't aspire to other artists, but would there be any kind of references or is there any other kind of influence? I know you travel a lot, but would there be any kind of readings maybe or anything else that would inspire? your work that's a good point i actually i love poetry and i've had a a great chance in my life to have worked with some really great poets and designed covers for their books of poetry and a friend recently wrote this wonderful poem so i think i'm gonna have to read it to you because it kind of fits with a piece like velocity where we're on this roller coaster because i think recently our lives i think we've all we're all on this roller coaster just hurtling through space and trying to hold on to something. So so poetry is a really big inspiration. And this one I just find beautiful. So it's by a Canadian poet called Michael Murray. And I'll try to do my best to read it. So our eyes watered as we screamed from our carts, our mouths wide open as the heavy carnival air poured in, filling us with a kind of unreal electricity. We sped and clattered faster and more beautiful than anything we could ever have imagined. Everything dizzy and wonderful and hitting me at the same time, all of it spinning, disintegrating, mutating, as if a million dreams unfolding around you at once. There it is. Isn't that beautiful? That's absolutely beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. So you're right. I would have to say poetry, music. Oh, I always listen to music while I'm painting. And 
Yeah, I think those are some of the, the parts that really drive my work, poetry, music and time. The fact that you've been on loads of residencies, I'm sure it's not the end of them. That meeting with other artists could spur you in what they're doing to bring up an idea for your own work. Would that be fair to say? Or just that community, Angela? With with writers and poets, you know, I think that for me is something that really is at the sort of origin of my work. And uh, I'm, I'm really lucky because I actually sing with a, a band. So we're, mm. we're in a really great moment <laughs> where we're doing like Jimi Hendrix and Aretha Franklin. And so mm. I don't know, somehow, maybe going back to a little bit of what you said about the chaos in some of the works or the title chaos, I think there's uh, a beauty in in things which are not so orderly and contained. And I think there's a certain unleashing of energy in, in certain chaotic um forms or structures and and I love music because it's so invisible but yet it, it wraps around you so I would say that yes meeting with artists meeting with writers playing music with people singing I think all of these different creative forms they they sort of dance around in my work and, and at one point one sort of says it's me look at this one and so I kind of just keep moving it, it, it just is this dance kind of progressing and receding emerging coming back but definitely the conversations with different people in creative different fields that does a lot to gives me an idea and that sort of mutates in my mind into something else and then I often describe it like my brain it's like these these ideas they're like these you know airplanes in a you know circling holding pattern getting ready to land and sometimes there's like five of them out there but only one of them can actually and I focus and I get that one and then once that one is landed, then it's like the next one is like, it's me. <laughs> you know, so it is quite a, a journey and it depends on really what my brain is really focusing on at a certain moment that that kind of then flows into the work and then the work arrives. So it's kind of process. But it sounds like it's done so much at ease with your outlets of your music and that's a time for you to filter your thoughts. And uh, even though you're not kind of maybe painting at that time, perhaps something just comes to the forefront. It sounds even with the way you speak about your works, it's so at ease and you're doing something that you love. Was there anything else you'd like to maybe let us know today just about the works or anything else at all in relation to your practice, Angela? Okay, well, it's been really wonderful to speak with you. And uh, once again, I just really appreciate everything you're doing at Pethney Gallery to, to keep all the artists sort of exhibiting and in contact. And I think the last thing I would want to say, I would say most of the topics and ideas in my work, and I think it goes back to the beginning, which was being born in Northern Ireland, you know, in 1969, and the experiences I had as a child, and sort of walking through Belfast, you know, being in various um, situations that you really, I think it made me see the world in a certain way that, the, 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 once again, back to the fragility that the constructed world, the cities we walk through are also really volatile, really fragile. And so I, I think that something in those early days and then the experience of being an immigrant going off to Canada when my family moved, it just keeps this core in my work that everything is changing. Everything is always changing. And I think that as terrifying and frightening as it can be at certain moments, there is that sense that it continually changes. That's what we do. And maybe that we just hold on to the parts that we have to bring from the past into the future. And I think somewhere in my work, a lot of the structures that I explore 
it's all tied around that. So I think that's the last thing I would like to, that's, yeah. yeah, you know, that's it. <laughs> what age were you when you actually made the move out? Well, it was, so it was my early years until I was eight years old. So, you know, I'd started school and everything in Northern Ireland. And it was just a feeling, you know, like I think that maybe even back to the waves and the water, like I think when you're born near the sea that that really talks to you, you know, what was going on in Northern Ireland, it was, it was a really terrible time. There was there was so much violence. But I think as a small child, I think it just it just gave me a sense that, you know, things were volatile. And so I think also then the experience of, of emigrating that back to sort of ideas of identity that parts of your identity will survive, will be added on to other parts. And I think that, you know, so for me, Ireland, it's a really important place, the whole island, the north and the south. And, and it's really important for me someday that, you know, there's going to be a really good links between the two worlds. But I think for me, as my experience with the place, it's just so beautiful. I just, I'm in love with it. And it's a big part of my heart. So for all the journeys I've made, I think things always pull me back to the beginning. And I, I guess that too is part of the work is that it's all connected and uh, and it's all part of it. So I think, yeah, that explains it. As an eight-year-old child, I'm sure it would have some sort of an impact, but it's nice to hear that your sense of Ireland is a positive note and that you have been back to ourselves and that you see Ireland as very much of your heritage. But I have to say, just absolutely honoured and delighted to be able to show an exhibition of so many different layers and mediums. Everything that you spoke about today just gives a lovely insight and description in the, the artwork for this show. I have to ask you if you have anything else lined up outside of this exhibition. I'm sure you have future shows you're looking at or is there anything you want to plug here at the minute? Yeah, I have a lot of things coming up in, in Montreux in the Switzerland. And one of our shows coming up in the spring is an interaction with a museum. It's a local museum full of artifacts because the Romans were here. So we've got this little museum filled with really interesting treasures. And each artist is going to interact with, they've chosen something in the, the museum to work around. So that's all happening. And then in August, I have an artist residency in London. So I'm going to be painting in the streets of London for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right live on the streets of London. That's exactly. <laughs> going to be exciting. And how do you feel about live works? I think that's part of it. It's going to, um, so I'm going to work on these really large canvases as people pass by. And there's even an underlying theme of Alice in Wonderland and the rabbit hole. So there's going to be this really interesting, I'm going to begin with mapping different places, okay. mapping my neighborhood. And then I will be probably, like I did with the found plastics, taking things along that I find along the way in specific places, and then transforming them into these huge paintings that then people will pass in front of. So there, once again, there'll be a real play or interplay between the painting, the place, the moment, the time. So that happens in August. I'm really excited about that one. All of it. I'm excited yeah. about all of it. So those are upcoming projects. If anyone is looking for more information on yourself and future projects that you're doing and also uh, past projects as well, more information can be found on your website, Angela. So that's www.angelamcfall.com. Exactly. That's right. 
Perfect. And I'm just going to state that the sad solo exhibition is still available to view at Pepney Gallery. It is going to run into the end of February and that can be found on our own website, www.pepneygallery.com and just click on the tab for the sad Angela McFall exhibition. Angela, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you today and a delight learning about your art practice just in more depth. I could speak with you all day. Honestly, I could. You're a delight to speak with. Thank you so much just for your time. Oh, and I have to say the same. Thank you so much. It was really wonderful to be here with you for this moment and talk about everything, the work. And once again, a very big thank you to Pepney Gallery and yourself for organizing these wonderful exhibitions. So, Marilyn, thank you. And we'll chat soon. You're very welcome, Angela. Thank you. Okay, bye.